You're listening to the Hockey Podcast Network, your home for hockey talk covering every team in the NHL. New episodes every Monday. Download at thehockeypodcastnetwork.com or wherever you get your podcasts from. Hello and welcome to episode number nine of the Life After Hockey podcast on the Hockey Podcast Network. Thank you for listening. I appreciate you tuning in. My name is Brad Lieb. I'm a former professional hockey player interviewing other former players about their life after hockey journeys. And this podcast would not be possible without the help and support of the Hockey Podcast Network, a network of individual podcasts that cover every single NHL market. Go find them online at thehockeypodcastnetwork.com and follow them on Twitter at HockeyPodNet. And before we get to this week's interview, as always, I'd like to take a moment and thank last week's guest. After a 14-year NHL career, Andy Sutton has taken over the Verbero hockey brand as owner and CEO. And since 2009, Verbero Hockey has focused on creating the most advanced hockey equipment at a price point that offers exceptional value. Verbero is also the only on-demand team color apparel and equipment provider. That means every product is available at all times in your team's colors and designs. Pretty cool. Go check them out online at verbero.com and go check out episode number eight with Andy Sutton. And that brings us to this week's guest, an interview with a member of the Hockey Hall of Fame, and in my opinion, the greatest female hockey player of all time. This conversation includes her definition of success and the people that have had the biggest influence on her life and on her career. She also shares her take on the state of women's hockey, what she's up to these days in the medical field, and her current role with the Toronto Maple Leafs as well as she mentions how her and Ryan Reynolds helped out the Conquer COVID organization back in March. So without further ado, here is my interview with Haley Wickenheiser. Enjoy. All right, here we go. My guest today really needs no introduction and mentioning all of her accomplishments would easily take up this entire episode. However, here are some highlights. She was born in Shaunavon, Saskatchewan. She was a member of Team Canada's women's hockey team for 23 years. She's a six-time Olympian, four-time Olympic gold medalist, two-time Olympic tournament MVP. She's won seven gold medals and four all-star awards with Canada at the World Championships, She won 10 gold medals for Canada at the Four Nations Cup tournaments. She's a three-time Western Women's Hockey League champion, as well as a Canadian Women's Hockey champion. She's the first woman to play Men's Professional Hockey League as a player in Finland and Sweden, and the first woman to score a goal while playing in a Men's Professional League. She was elected to the International Olympic Committee's Athletes Commission in 2014. She was named an Officer of the Order of Canada. She has an arena named after her in her hometown of Shaunavon. And in 2019, she was inducted into the Hockey Hall of Fame, currently an assistant director of player development with the Toronto Maple Leafs. 
She has a degree in kinesiology, currently attending medical school. She's a mother and simply the greatest female hockey player of all time. Thank you for doing this and welcome Haley Wickenheiser. Thanks so much, Brad. Yeah, it's great to join you. I was wondering, I was thinking, and I don't know if we ever maybe played against each other because you're, I think, a year younger than me, but with the national team, we used to play a lot of the midget AAA teams around Alberta. But I was wondering, I, I thought maybe you might be playing already in the dub by that point. So I, I wasn't sure if we ever played against each other. I I don't think so. I, I don't really have a great memory for some of those things. And <laughs> so if we if we cross paths, yeah. I, I don't remember on the ice. And, and I know we haven't crossed paths off the ice. Yeah. And, and yeah, I do really appreciate your, your time. Um, and, and even after that, that introduction, it's it's an amazing resume. And just curious, looking back on your career and, and, and even life at this point, what are you most proud of? Oh, boy. Um, I think from a career perspective, um, people ask me that. I Probably I think I'm most proud of is just the consistency. Um, I tried to, whether I was playing in, in Red Deer or Castor, Alberta, and there was 50 people in the rank, or it was the Olympics and there was 18,000, I tried to play the game the same um, every time, and I tried to prepare the same. One, one thing that happens in the female game is you're used to not having the big stage and the big crowds um, often, and so... I think it, it really boils down to just the love of wanting to get better and, you know, wanting to be the best player that you can be. So I felt like I was a pretty consistent performer through the years. And if I look back on my hockey career, that's probably the thing that I'm, I'm most proud of, I guess. I, I, uh, absolutely. You, you can't play, you know, to over two decades without being consistent. So I'd have to agree with you on that. And, um, you know, one of the things I just doing a little research on you, I came across your TED talk that you did in in Calgary, and I love what you were talking about your your bucket list and yeah. your buck it list. So, could you please just explain what a bucket list is and perhaps some of the things you've bucked in your life? <laughs> yes. Yeah, so, if you can imagine bucket instead of add an F in there, I won't say the word, but um, I think as hockey players, we don't often always have the greatest mouths in the room. <laughs> but when I look at my uh, my ho my hockey career, much of my life to this point, you know, when I was asked to do this TED talk, I was like, oh, what am I going to talk about that's interesting or different? And I just thought, well, much of my life had been about sort of, uh, you know, we all have a bucket list of things we want to achieve and do in our life, like climb Kilimanjaro or, you know, travel the world. And mine was more the buck it, things I was sort of trying to get over and overcome. And so it was, you know, when I was young, being a female in the male dominated world of hockey from minor hockey right through to when I played pro in Europe and um, just a lot of the obstacles that came with that, a lot of the barriers that were put up. And so I think the struggle for the women's game to grow and gain relevancy has been a long one. And I've certainly benefited uh, from it, whereas the women that came before me had a lot harder time. But there are a lot of things that I went through in my career um, to, I suppose, where I am today to be able to have a position in the NHL and, and work with the Leafs. Um, so the game of hockey has has come a long way. So that was really what the TED Talk was about. And um, I think it's also about sometimes in life, we want to put people in a box and hockey, I think is really bad for that. You know, if you're 
if you're not a middle-aged white man, you don't work in the NHL. If you're, or if you're not a, a Caucasian white male, you don't play in the NHL or hockey isn't for you or you can't make a living in hockey. And so I think the game has had to really adapt. And it's been slow to adapt compared to a lot of other pro sports, um, but it's now it has no choice and it's kind of fun to watch that progression. progression. Hmm. Yeah, you know, I, I, I've really taken a lot of um, hockey lessons and kind of I use them in life. That's that's kind of my biggest reference. I always um, think about it in, in hockey terms. And, um, you know, I, I think those lessons from hockey of, of, you know, overcoming and, you know, kind of like I'll, I'll show you th th those kind of, um, you know, that drive, I think, can can really um, be useful in, in life and, and, yeah. and for yeah. all of us to have, you know, that inspiration that whatever you want to do, um, whatever the status quo rule is, you know, that's, you know, rules are meant to be broken, living outside the box and, and yeah. growing and, and expanding. And, um, you know, just curious, those traits are obviously you've, you've had to have had, um, you know, a very um, strong drive um, to, to, to go through all that, you know, growing up uh, um, as a girl playing with boys and, 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 and feeling all those, all those um, comments. I'm curious, where do you feel those traits originated from? Are they, is that always been a part of you or is that part of your upbringing? Yeah, that's a good question. I think, you know, I grew up in a very small town, Seanovan, Saskatchewan, middle of nowhere, near an hour, an hour south of Swift Current. So the big treat for us was to go to McDonald's and Swift Current after we went to our dentist appointment. So you can, you can imagine what was going on in our little town, which wasn't much. Uh, and I, my mom and dad were, were teachers. They believed that a little girl could do anything that a little boy could do. And, and I wasn't raised with thinking anything different, but what started to happen was I was, I was good when I was in minor hockey. I was always one of the best players in our town and in our area. And as I got into the higher ranks, people, especially parents, mostly parents, they didn't like that because I was taking the spot of a boy. Um, mm. I really started to encounter it when I was playing Bantam AAA and then Midget AAA here in Calgary. Uh, no girl had ever played at that level. And, um, you know, a lot of comments would come my way. And so my mom and dad did a great job of sheltering me from a lot of that, but I inevitably felt it. And I knew that uh, I had to perform I, every single time I stepped on the ice. So I kind of grew up with this mentality of every time I'm, I'm on the ice, someone watching, I want them to leave the rink, say, wow, that was, now there's a hockey player, not there's a girl playing hockey. There's, there's a hockey player. And it was really kind of important to me growing up that every time I stepped out there, I would, in my mind, be having to prove something. And looking back now, I feel like there's nothing for me to prove anymore. And it was a pretty exhausting way to live and, and how, how to establish it, but it was really a almost survival thing for me. If I wanted to play at the next level or, you know, get, get to the next step, um, I knew that I had to fight that way. And there was always somebody that wanted to not see you succeed. So it's kind of ingrained in my head. And um, I was already by nature a pretty fiery kid. <laughs> and, uh, you know, my parents certainly didn't push me at all. In fact, many times they would say, Hey, are you sure this is this is getting pretty hard? Are you sure you want to keep going? Like they weren't so into it. <laughs> um, and I was like, oh yeah, I'm going. And I remember the day I told my mom I was going to play pro men's hockey in Finland. She she was like, you're doing what? 
<laughs> and are you out of your mind? And I said, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm going, see you. Like I'm leaving next week. And um, <laughs> you know, that was just my mom and dad just kind of always opened the door, but they never, they never pushed and, uh, and they certainly never tried to stop it. So I think I was fortunate to be raised in a good environment. And in my little town, I had a lot of people that believed in me. Otherwise I probably wouldn't have played as long as it's pretty brutal in, in redneck Saskatchewan at that time. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think that's a great point. Um, just that you were the one making those choices. Yeah, like you're, you're the one that wanted to do it. You're the one that 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 didn't want to stop, rather than your parents being the ones to say, "Well, keep going and pushing you," which you know leads into the conversations that that parents are are a little pushy with kids in sport, and mm -hmm. and and I love that message that you know that that the kids. Um, you know, they really know what they what they want to do and, and what they enjoy doing. And, and I think that's that's been my approach with my kids. Like, you know, I, I want them to try everything and and complete it if you've made a commitment and and not to, you know, push kids to do things that, that they may not want to do. So I I, yeah. I love that message. Yeah, I always try to tell parents, like when they ask me, I, I try to remind them that remember that it's your child's dream, not yours. Hmm. And um, they're going to make it probably with or without you, um, maybe more with you in the support role. Uh, obviously, if the kids don't have support, they don't feel safe growing up. It's very hard to overcome obstacles. But but thinking that by pushing, by driving, by continually t trying to sort of live the dream for them. I think it really pushes kids away. And, you know, my son, he's, he's 20. He, he skates a little bit and not great. And uh, he never loved hockey. I put him on the ice when he was like two years old on skates, he started crying right away. And I knew like that was it, it's over. So, um, you know, he's got completely different interests than hockey and has had no, uh, no interest in it all. He's brought a Harry Potter book to just about every gold medal final that I've played in and read it. Um, but I think it's important, like as parents, we put our kids in lots of different stuff and expose them to lots of things, and they're going to choose ultimately what they love to do. But um, really, there's not much we can do about, you know, whether they, I think, make the NHL or not, contrary to what a lot of people think. <laughs> I, I love, I love the uh, Harry Potter book at the gold medal games. Like that's yeah. um, that's a, that's actually a really good segue into. Um, I, I I posted on my social media. The asking if you had the opportunity to to interview Haley Wickenheiser, what would you want to ask her? And and one of the questions uh, was um, out of your full out of your four gold medals, which one felt the most satisfying to you if if you had to choose? Oof, that is a good question. Um, they're all different. They're all very different. So we don't we never talk about the silver that we lost in Nagano. We we just forget that that happened. <laughs> So I never talk about that. That was probably the most important loss because uh, we learned how to win out of that. Mm. But um, if I if I look at Salt Lake, I mean, we overcame a lot in that Olympic uh, Games. It was just after 9-11. The American women, uh, one of the players on their team, lost her father in the World Trade Center. It was very emotional. And we played uh, 28 minutes shorthanded in that game, which was insane. Half the game in the box. So to win was like really against a lot of odds. And then... Vancouver was special, uh, winning in your home country in the Olympics and uh, be able to captain that team. There was just, you know, like a lot of people think you're going to play in your home country, you're going to choke in a game like that. And in a moment like that, and we did it, we played quite well. Uh, and then I would say uh, the last one, Sochi, 
we were down to nothing with 10 minutes to go. And we had this like ridiculous comeback that, uh, you know, is one probably for Olympic hockey ages, male or female. So um, they're all very different and unique. Uh, I look, I look at Vancouver as probably the most satisfying victory uh, just to be able to do it in Canada. And to as an athlete, it doesn't happen that, you know, to anyone really that you get to compete in the Olympics in your, in your lifetime, in your home country. So that was pretty cool. I would think that one would be pretty special because, you know, you're on home soil and, and it's just the, you know, the perfect ending to the story for, for both the men's and women's team, you know, in hockey Canada. So I I remember watching that and yeah, special, special time for sure. Um, The other uh, question that I got from my social media was just who, who's influenced you the most um, throughout your hockey career, but, you know, even now, I think as, as we grow up, our influences kind of change and, and just curious who's who's influenced you over the years. Yeah, uh, great question as well. I would say so my, my parents, obviously, they were there. They provided everything like they, they were teachers. We were middle middle class. But, you know, they kind of gave up their lives to put three kids through hockey, uh, which is not a cheap endeavor. And so I I think they kind of set the table. I had a lot of great coaches um, through the years. Um you know, I think of a guy named Wally Kozak, who uh, is legendary, known in a lot of hockey circles, was uh, one of my first sort of father figure mentors, um, the women that I played with early on in the national team. When I was 15, I started on the national team and my my roommate was, a. I was in grade 10, I was doing grade 10 math, and my roommate was a grade 10 math teacher, Margot Page. <laughs> she was 35 and I was 15. So can you imagine being a 35-year-old having a room with a 15 15- wow you know like weeks on end it just probably was awful for her but uh those women Saint louis angela james um you know even a cami granado who was my opponent for many years but one of my first people i looked up to in the female game they really you know showed me that there was a place for me um and then uh you know coming to the 98 olympics bobby clark he and i have remained friends since 98 he gave me a chance to go to two flyer rookie camps and became like a sounding board, um, big brother, father figure, whatever you want to call it to me, like for over, you know, 20 years now, we stay in touch quite often. And um, just really, he was one of the first pro people, legit people, if you want to call that in hockey, that like believed in me and and actually really supported the women's game. So I've always respected him for that. And uh, so many others, I mean, through the years, the guys that I train with in the off season, Martin, Jelena and Andrew Ferentz and so many NHL players, they were just amazing for me to chase around and skate with all those years as well. And, and then, you know, shifting into medicine now, uh, that's been an interesting, an interesting time because um, I've had a lot of mentors in medicine, doctors and physicians that have taken me under their wing to try to teach me how to do this whole medicine gig, which is a whole nother world than hockey. <laughs> so it's been good. Yeah. I, I, I want to, before we just pass on that um, topic, I wanted to ask you about that, that those Philadelphia camps and, and going yeah. to those camps and um, just what that experience was like and, and, you know, any kind of, um, you know, cause I don't believe it's happened since, no. And, and, you know, do you feel that was a, a positive experience? You think it should happen more? 
Uh, you know, it was amazing for me. I went 98, 99 and I, uh, I skated with players like Simone Gagné. I think you probably played with her against, I'm sure. Um, uh, Todd Fedora, you know, it was the time where Eric Lindros was the, the big superstar. So he was around. Um, and it was great. Like I felt like I was training, playing, you know, committing like a pro hockey player and then to go there and see, uh, you know, in Philly at the time with those development camps, I mean, they just tried to drive you into the ground. It's not mm -hmm. like development camps today where you go and you do like one on nice session and then you, you do like a, a video session, then you go golf for the rest of the day. Like it's, <laughs> they're very different with the flyers. So they would just like grind us and we'd fall into bed. Or I think eight o'clock every night I was dead asleep, but um, it was fantastic. I really learned, like I, I got my eyes open to what it takes to play in the NHL, just how competitive it is. And uh, when I came back to the women's game, you know, in the, in the, in the fall, I felt like I had a huge advantage. So, uh, you know, I don't know. I, I don't know why it hasn't happened. I, I guess it's very, it's very difficult um, to do, uh, you know, and also the women's game has changed a lot. There's, there's a lot more out there for women. So um, it was something that Clarky felt like he could help me with. And I really enjoyed it. It was a good experience. I still keep in touch with some of those guys that I went to camp with as well. That's such a great experience. I, I want to get to women's hockey in a minute. Um, mm -hmm. And first just wanted to even, even just what you mentioned about your first, your first Olympics being in grade 10 and, and, and yeah. rooming with the math teacher, that that's pretty amazing and cool. And, and just speaks to, um, how much success you had, you know, at, at such an early age. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm really into, you know, personal developments and, and personal coaching and, and the idea of success and creating success in your life, despite circumstances, yeah. what would, um, what, what would, what would your definition of success be? And, and, and why do you feel that you were successful? Well, that's a good question too. Some good questions here. <laughs> uh, you know, I think, yeah, like what do we define success? Do we define success as what every, like the external world thinks is success according to how they would label us or is it how we feel internally? And so for me, success uh, as a hockey player, I guess there's different realms of success. For So for me as a hockey player, uh, success for me was knowing that I put everything that I possibly could into being the player that I was. And I all ultimately felt like when I stepped on the ice um, at the Olympic games, I, in every Olympic gold medal final I played in, I, I can actually say that I stepped on the ice with, with no regrets. Like I really believe that I left no stone unturned that I, uh, you know, had a peace of mind knowing that I did everything possible to get to that moment. And I think in, in those big moments, so many players, they feel like now I have to raise the bar higher because um, it's a special moment. And I just always felt like if I raised the bar as high as I could every day, then that was, then every day is a special moment. And I'm just in a, in a big stadium now doing the same thing I've done. Mm -hmm. And so I think that for me is a bit of internal success that I was able to sort of get there in my mind. And not to say that um, winning wasn't important because uh, it was incredibly important to me and it matters a lot, especially in hockey in this country. And so there's that external success of, winning gold medals. Um, but I think ultimately it comes back to that consistency of performance. Uh, and, it, and I certainly didn't play great every game, but more games than not um, having having success. And then the other part of success, I would say, is I think being able to do what you love to do every day. So so many people get up and go to a job they don't like or are in circumstances they don't want to be in. 
I think it's very simple that success is about creating your environment and your everyday world in a place that you feel happy, comfortable and fulfilled in, um, whether it's, it's hockey or something else. So that's more what I try to do now um, outside of hockey is I call it like chasing joy. Like, what am I going to do mm -hmm. that was going to be happy? That's going to make me happy. Oh, I don't have mm -hmm. to like suffer anymore. Like, <laughs> you know, I can actually chase after things that I want to do. And when you're, when you're an elite, elite athlete, there's so many things that you just can't do because you're trying to perform. And now I'm like, okay, I can, I can try something else and I can let go a little bit here. And so chasing joy is, is also a part of success for me right now and trying to, uh, you know, uh, get a, create a life that um, work is a means to do things I want to do. <laughs> mm. I love that. And I completely agree. I think success definitely is an element of, of one's personal happiness, one's own personal fulfillment and, mm -hmm. and the pursuit of it. And, yeah. and, and if you're not doing something that you, that you enjoy, then you might be miserable. And, and, and I mm -hmm. think that's to, to be successful and feel fulfilled in life, you're doing something that you're passionate about and you get to do it all the time and, 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 and pursue it. So I, I'm absolutely on the same page with that. And, and thank you for that, um, that take on it. And, you know, and, and then moving into as this is the life after hockey podcast, I yeah. want to ask you about yeah. your life after hockey. Um, and first of all, after over 20 years playing a sport and transitioning into something else, Mm -hmm. And and I guess what what did you find most challenging at that time, and and kind of did you have an idea that you wanted to go into mm -hmm. to other things? Yeah, so I always knew I wanted to be a doctor since I was a kid. Um, my teammates will tell you I spent more time in the training room talking to the medical staff than sometimes hanging out in the dressing room. I was always really curious, and I always liked science and. A uh, little girl in my hometown when I was a kid got backed over by our grocery delivery truck. That was the town thing. And I remember going to the hospital every day as a kid and just being really inspired by what the doctors and nurses were doing. So mm. uh, as a female athlete, you know, it's different than the NHL equivalent where you're not making millions of dollars. So you know that as you're playing through your years, you've got to be thinking ahead. What am I going to do when this is over? And I think a mistake a lot of guys make is, they don't think about that until it's over and then they feel very lost and um, you have a lot of money, with, but, and, but a lot of time. <laughs> and that sometimes is a bad recipe. And so I think in the women's side, we do a really good job. Like I was the last player on the national team to get a university degree because I was raising my son and I was doing other things. But every player I played with, you know, is very well educated and they come out with a pretty good handle on how to have life post hockey. So, um, you know, when I transitioned into medicine, uh, I didn't know when that would be. I went from being an expert in one field, which is hockey to a complete rookie again. And the parallels are very similar. Like you, uh, you start as a neophyte, you know, you just keep your mouth shut. You, you just try to get through the days. Uh, you look for mentors and you'll never forget those people that are great mentors, just like in a hockey team where they influence your life and they change your life forever. But I enjoyed going back to that growth mentality and having that mindset of learning because I was kind of missing that in hockey. I was getting a little bit stale, I think, in just environment I always knew. And so every day I go to, to work now, I'm just about finished med school. I, I say, but I don't know about a thousand times a day and make mistakes all day long. And what I notice is uh, because of what I've gone through in my hockey career, I'm, I'm really good at dealing with criticism and mistakes where a lot of the mm -hmm. younger, younger kids starting medicine 
they've never experienced that. Someone telling you to do something wrong or you're not perfect and they have a hard time with that. Whereas I'm like, oh yeah, no big deal. I mean, I got told every day going to the rink, you're not doing something right. We, you know, we're so used to that as hockey players, just kind of getting getting knocked down all the time. So uh, it's helped me a lot in medicine and there's an incredible amount of parallels. I'll always cherish being able to have played in a team sport because it really helps me in the emerge or, uh, you know, in a situation where you under pressure, you got to think fast, you rely on others. There's just like so many parallels there. And, you know, especially during this pandemic when stress is very high and it's very hard on people, especially healthcare workers going there every day, seeing a lot of bad stuff. I find that all of the pressure, breathing, relaxation, all the things I knew from being an athlete, I use when I'm, when I'm in medicine. Mm. So there's an incredible crossover there. And, um, I've enjoyed, you know, being able to dabble in both worlds. I go to the rank, it makes me happy. And then when I go to the hospital, I feel grateful. So, <laughs> you know, it's two worlds. Yeah. I love it. That's, you know, the, I hear the growth men mindset and, mm -hmm. and, you know, the, the, the growth mentality and, and, you know, taking that criticism and learning, um, and, and yeah, just more parallels from, from the game of hockey. Uh, I, I do, I do want to just get your thoughts on, uh, women's hockey. And, you know, for, for me, I, it, it it's been a little confusing in the last couple of years. Yeah. And, and I know that the, the Canadian women's hockey league is, is no longer, and there's still the national women's hockey league that's going on. Yeah. Um, you know, as an outsider, I don't know why they didn't create a super league in the, in the beginning. And I, I guess just your thoughts of, of where all that's at and, and kind of, uh, perhaps what, what needs to be done to, to continue to grow it. Yeah. Well, you're confused. I'm confused. Uh, I think <laughs> a lot of people are confused. So here's my very honest take on it all. The, the, the problem with women's hockey right now is the women in hockey that can't seem to figure out that one league with the best players in the world in it will be successful and probably do quite well there's an appetite for it i think at this point so what we have is the pwhpa the professional women's hockey players association which quite honestly has the top 40 or so best players in the world aligned with it and then you have the nwhl which i think yesterday was announced they're gonna nbc is gonna show their games mm -hmm. uh, you'd probably say it's the bottom 40 to 60 players in the world so the quality isn't going to be very good but they're going to be on American TV, which is baffling to me. And so these two leagues uh, can't seem to figure out how they could work together to get one league. Uh, and then you have the NHL kind of sitting in the middle, who in my talks with Gary Bettman through the years has always said that they would never interfere with trying to get the two leagues to merge together. And so uh, you're at the stalemate and one league is going to want to, I think it wants to try to sort of uh, eventually outgrow the other. I think the PWHPA will be the league of the future and, and had some momentum prior to the pandemic. But you have uh, the NHL who's kind of, I think, waiting and they should be forcing the hand a bit more, but they're not. That's a whole other story. Uh, but I think we need the NHL involved to really have professional women's hockey one day. And so it's been very frustrating for me. I, I'm very far away from it because I, I can't. I can't understand it. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, I can't understand how you can't just figure it out and do the right thing. Um, but uh, I think it the the, the answer is pretty clear. When the top forty players in the world want to play in one league, you know you know why. And so that's where it's at. And so I guess we just all wait and see what's going to happen. But I do think professional women's hockey, you know, in the right business model, um, has a chance to do fairly well in certain markets. And so it'll be exciting when that finally happens. 
Yeah. And I feel like, you know, eventually it will, I feel like, you know, eventually things will kind of sort itself out. It, it, to me, it, it, it sounds comparable to when the AHL and the IHL were, were both operating at the same time and, and there was good players in both leagues and, you know, it, it could have been an even better league if, if you combined the two and, you know, without, you know, pointing fingers at the NHL, it, it also sounds like, they need to get involved. Like they can't sit on the side. And this is just my opinion um, that, that they're kind of the, the, the biggest entity on, on the block. So, you know, to, as a, as a sport, they, they would need to get involved. And, and with all their connections, I would think that, that they would be able to facilitate all those moving parts and, and help out. So, um, I'm sure there's other uh, reasons uh, behind closed doors that things aren't happening quicker. Yeah, um, yeah but just wanted to kind of get your thoughts on that. And, and um, you know, and, and it's really cool to see you still involved in hockey. Can you just speak uh, about your role with, with Maple Leafs? Yeah. So I, I, I have a great, uh, a great role, great setup. I feel with the Toronto Maple Leafs. I mean, probably one of the the haves in all of the NHL in terms of the facility, the dollars, the amount of staff and resources they put into to the team to help the players be successful. So I'm an assistant director of player development there. And my role is essentially to help players get better both on and off the ice. So over the last few days, um, been on the ice, um, you know, with some of the players that, uh, play uh, for the Marlies in the American League, uh, right up to, you know, Tavares and Kerfoot and players like that running sessions for them as they get ready for the season. So uh, it's kind of whatever's needed on the day. Uh, I'm there and uh, we have a a staff of, I think, 10 of us now that uh, we work together. We liaise with the medical and the off-ice training staff to try to help isolate what each player needs and give them uh, whatever we can to help them be successful. So it's, uh, it's an amazing fishbowl of an atmosphere, especially right now during COVID with a pandemic. Um, it's almost like an alternative world when you, when you go into the rink, you know, the players, I think, you know, one thing I would say though, is the players, it's not lost on them, how fortunate they are to be able to have something to go to and still hopefully have a bit of a season here. And I do think that the NHL is a bit of an essential, um, essential worker. If you, if you'll have that, because, uh, people need happiness. They need hope. They need something mm. to watch, to entertainment, because I do think there's going to be a major mental health fallout of, of this pandemic, and we're already seeing that. And hockey brings so much joy to people. So what I really notice is when I come from the hospital, uh, having tough shifts there, and then I step into the arena, I'm just like, oh, these worlds are so different. People are so happy here. <laughs> so hopefully we can keep that going as the season starts. But um, I really enjoy my role there, and it's uh, been great to work with the Leafs. I, I agree with that therapeutic uh, part of, of of sport and 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 even you know for me there's nothing like going into a cold rink and the smell of a cold rink for 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 myself it's it feels therapeutic so I'm I'm actually missing yeah. my weekly men's skate here you know during during this whole thing and and sure. and even just you know before I let you go just talking about the pandemic and and early when when COVID um, hit you were you were part of uh an initiative that was uh providing personal protective equipment and did a whole drive around that um you also uh you and ryan reynolds had a thing on 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 social media can you talk about how how that got started and 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 essentially how it's led to um another thing you're involved with now the pandemic solutions 
Yeah, no. Uh, so what happened was like back in uh, March, uh, when everybody's life changed, as we know it today, I was working nights in the emerge. And by the day, by day, I was in the rink with the Leafs on the ice. And uh, it all kind of stopped in 24 hours, we got pulled out as uh, we're called clinical clerks in our final year of medicine. Uh, they were worried about PPE shortages. And so I was still talking with some of my friends who are emerge and ICU physicians, and they were saying, geez, we think we only have a couple of days, uh, we're going to run out. And so no one was afraid to treat COVID patients, but without the proper gear, they were. Mm -hmm. And so I thought, oh, I better, uh, what can I do? You know, so social, uh, social media keyboard warrior, I tweeted out, uh, let's get some help for these hospitals thinking, you know, six or seven hospitals that I knew needed PPE. And Ryan uh, Reynolds, who is a friend of mine, he texted me, he saw it and he said, uh, can I help you amplify this? And so I knew like 10 minutes later, he did and 35 million people saw it. And, you know, that just mm -hmm. went to another level. And Ryan is, uh, I've known Ryan for uh, well, seven or eight years now, we've been friends and he's just a good BC boy. He's a, he's just a good human. He is a really good mm -hmm. human being. And uh, he, I think his mission in life is to give away a lot of his wealth and do a lot of great things for people that uh, can't help themselves. And so he got behind this. We connected with a group called Conquer COVID, 200 people that had never met each other before. And in Toronto, we held um, drives for PPE over about eight weeks. We raised $2.36 million and we delivered over 3 million items of PPE to 500 locations across Canada for hospitals, long-term care etc cetera, etc cetera. and um so it was amazing it was one of the best teams i've ever been a part of i think a lot of lives were saved and um while this was all going on i was working with some other doctor friends to start a, a group a company called pandemic solutions which was we were just really concerned about the fallout of the economy for small business and, and business in general in canada so it was just a way for businesses to protect themselves with a digital uh solution of screening and track and trace and things like that so we worked with companies like Bombardier and small businesses across the country to just help them try to safeguard their their business. So two kind of things running at the same time, but the Conquer COVID thing was pretty cool. And I saw the prime minister being interviewed a couple of days ago and he was asked, what is one of your greatest regrets since the pandemic began? And he, he said, you know, the fact we had a shortage of PPE. And mm -hmm. I kind of smiled because uh, we were getting so much cooperation from the federal government, from uh, the province of Ontario. They were basically letting us do whatever we needed to do to get this gear out. And so there really was a shortage um, back in March, April. And, and uh, this group of people did an amazing job. And it was just an honor to kind of watch it all and be a part of it all. Amazing. I mean, it, it is, you know, looking back and that's how we grow and that's how we learn. And, and, and even uh, leading up to, um you know a, a new way of doing things in a new world and um can you talk about what uh pandemic mm -hmm. solutions uh does and, and what the kind of vision is for it yeah so basically um you know what we do is for example uh let's just say that uh we uh you're you're a small mortgage company you've got 25 employees that come into the office every day well we set up essentially a digital um uh, symptom screen so you could You'd, you'd fill out a screen every day on your phone and it would it would track it so that if there was a person that tested positive with COVID, you'd be able to go back and contact it'd be contact tracing already done. So mm -hmm. instead of the government having to do the contact tracing, the business is doing it um, and saving a lot of work. Um, and it's all sort of digitalized and itemized. And at the same time, it uh, allows businesses to sort of track. And we also are able to put people into cohorts or bubbles, work bubbles. And by doing that, we know that it decreases the chance of transmission 
Um, so if one bubble got knocked out in a business, essentially the other bubbles could keep going and the business wouldn't have to shut down. So Bombardier has been using it on their factory lines with um, some of their shift workers. And uh, so far, I think so good for them. So um, it was just, you know, wasn't so much a money making idea as it was a kind of a do good service turned into a bit of a business with some doctors that uh, were were actively involved in, in treating COVID patients and knowing how how you know these shutdowns they really are are hurting our economy and they're hard on people all around so something that we don't talk about as much in medicine but it's going to be a long-lasting effect i think yes it will and and is and um yeah those, those kind of solutions i think you know are, are going to be part of um the new way of doing things in in the future and um kind of last question for you uh, speaking about the future uh you 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 are an amazing human being and you're inspiring to me um with everything that you've accomplished and done where where do you see Haley Wickenheiser in five years oh man that's a tough one Brad <laughs> well I I will definitely be done medicine so that will be good um because uh holy cow I've never done anything so mentally exhausting in my life mm-hmm. um so I I hope to be uh finished medicine to and to the point where um, you know, I can practice it if I want and use it as I need. Um, I'd love to still be involved with hockey, uh, hopefully doing what I'm doing with the Leafs or maybe something different, but, um, I love it. I love being on the big stage and being working with the best players in the world every day. It's just such a, I don't know. I just love that being an athlete and, and being in that environment. So probably blending the two, um, you know, still standing, still going, and uh, probably have a few other projects on the side because I don't seem to sit still very well. So that's probably what I'll be doing. <laughs> Wonderful. Well, I look forward to uh, to following your your story and and the evolution of everything that you're doing. Um, I've been, I've enjoyed watching your iconic hockey career. Uh, I feel like you've been an inspiration to hockey players everywhere. Um, you know, regardless of age or gender. Um, so I, I really um, thank you and want to thank you for your time and your inspiration. And uh, yeah, wish you the next, the, the, wish you all the best in the next phase of your life. Well, thank you. Yeah, I appreciate it. And uh, it's great that you're doing this podcast. Thanks for having me. All right. Thanks a lot, Haley. Right. Take care. Cheers. It really was such a, an honor and a privilege to interview her. She is truly an iconic figure in the world of hockey, not only in women's hockey, but in hockey in general. And I am absolutely inspired by her, inspired to take on more in my own life and inspired to push boundaries and overcome obstacles. And if you haven't seen her TED Talk, it's called Make a New Status Quo, and I'll put a link in the show notes. That's where she talks about her bucket list. And I highly encourage you to go check it out. It, to me, it just speaks to the winner's mindset that she's had her whole life. And it, it is truly inspiring for us all to, to push those boundaries and to overcome obstacles and just to, to go for it. And the other thing that I took away from the interview is that she used the same word when talking about what she was proud of in, in her hockey career, as well as in her definition of success. And that word is consistency. And to me, that speaks volumes. Coming from someone as accomplished as Haley Wickenheiser, it, it really is 
such a simple concept and and the idea of simple not easy uh, and speaks to just how consistency really is the key to any success and that really stuck to me stuck with me and you know again speaks volumes especially coming from someone as accomplished as Haley Wickenheiser so I want to thank today's guest Haley Wickenheiser I also want to thank you the listener I appreciate you tuning in and if you have enjoyed the podcast or have received any value I would love if you would please rate, review, and subscribe wherever you are listening as it helps others to find the podcast. And if you have any thoughts or feedback or requests, please come find me on Twitter or Instagram at Brad M. Lieb, and I would love to hear from you. And that does it for episode number nine. Thanks again for tuning in, and until next time, Keep going and enjoy your life. See you next time. I think that went very well.